Good evening. A jailed whistleblower, 10 years since Occupy Wall Street. A former president threatens more trouble if he doesn't win the next election. And race and the press secretary. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Former President Trump spoke Saturday at a rally in Youngstown, Ohio, a former steel and auto town that lost most of its industry and job base years ago. He brought his mix of white grievance and hard-right nationalism and gave a stump speech supporting several GOP candidates in off-year elections in November. But Trump spent most of the two-hour speech airing his own grievances about the Department of Justice investigation into classified documents he kept at Mar-a-Lago, Trump's Florida home. Meanwhile, a lone protester was escorted out of the hall after he unfurled a banner accusing Trump of losing 3,000 jobs by forcing the closing of the Lordstown auto plant. He also said in that document that Trump had lost the 2020 election. In his speech, Trump went on to say he had won 200 million votes and not the 70 or so million that he's been credited and accused candidate J.D. Vance who he supports, of kissing his ass to get an endorsement. And the former president had a warning for Democrats. Depriving Trump voters, their candidate in 2024, will cause trouble. And the General Motors plant in Lordstown, Ohio, was a major employer there for years. The plant was manufacturing energy-efficient vehicles. But when Trump cut gas mileage regulations early in his presidency, General Motors closed the plant, a blow to a city whose blue-collar workers had supported President Trump. And White House National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby got a surprising question at a news conference on Friday. A reporter asked if his frequent briefing room appearances meant that he was the second press secretary, and undermining Karine Jean-Pierre, the first woman of color to be chief White House spokesperson. The inquiry came from Cameroonian journalist Simon Atiba, who was selected by Jean-Pierre to ask Kirby a question. He said, sometimes you act like the second press secretary, giving voice to an observation made privately by other members of the White House press corps. Kirby had this response. If anyone gets any kind of idea in their head that, that I'm taking away from Corrine or her work, that's really regrettable. Um, and, uh, and I'm very sorry that that's any impression that anybody would have. I am simply working at the National Security Council on National Security Communications. And uh, with her good graces, I'm able to come up here every now and then to talk to you about 
simply national security issues. That's my portfolio. That's where I'm limited. That's where I'll stay. And I do it at her uh, at her invitation and uh, and with her approval to come up here. So I uh, that that's that's the focus. I'm happy to answer national security questions and okay. and that's about it. Thank Jean-Pierre, 48, is the first non-white person, the first LGBT person, and the first immigrant to hold the post. She was born in Martinique to Haitian parents and began her political career at the New York City Council. And New York City was, as usual, the site of numerous rallies, marches, news conferences, and other events touting human rights, government overreach, and the acts of brutal foreign dictators over the weekend. On a spur abutting the High Line, a west side park made from an old elevator railway, left over from New York's industrial past, sits an example of sleek modern technology, a 25-foot-tall fiberglass sculpture of a predator drone, like those used by the U.S. military in Iraq and Afghanistan. The sculpture was created by anti-war artist Sam Durant. On Saturday, the spur was the site of a rally in support of jailed Air Force veteran and whistleblower Daniel Hale. Hale, a former National Security Agency analyst, was convicted of leaking classified information about drone warfare to the Intercept website. In 2021, he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to nearly four years in prison. Hale says his job was choosing targets for assassination in Afghanistan, just a few of thousands killed by U.S. drones. Peace activists from a coalition called Ban Killer Drones were at the Predator sculpture to bring attention and ask for a pardon from President Biden. Among the participating groups, the Raging Grannies and Rising Together Guerrilla Theater, who sang this song. Daniel Hale is strong and true, told us what our drones drones do. Gotta stand with Daniel Hale. Exploring global dread, countless civilians dead. Gotta stand with Daniel Hale. Among the Raging Grannies, actress and anti-war activist Vinnie Burroughs, she's a sprightly 97 years young and read this excerpt from a statement by Hale. Early that morning, before dawn, a group of men had gathered together in the mountain ranges of Patika province around a campfire carrying weapons and brewing tea. That they carried weapons with them would not have been considered out of the ordinary in the place I grew up, much less within the virtually lawless tribal territories outside the control of the Afghan authorities, except that among them was a suspected member of the Taliban given away by the targeted cell phone device in his pocket. Despite having peacefully assembled, posing no threat, the fate of the now tea-drinking men had all been fulfilled. I could only look on as I sat by and watched through a computer monitor when a sudden, terrifying flurry of Hellfire missiles came crashing down, splattering purple-colored crystal guts on the side of the morning mountain. The director of Peace Action New York State is Sally Jones. She says Hale did a service to humanity when he leaked information about his role in the drone program. This is a backdrop for what we're trying to do, which is free Daniel Hale, who was in prison over the, his uh, divulging all the facts about 
the killings of civilians in, with our drone program in Afghanistan and elsewhere. So he stood up, he contacted somebody who told the truth, and they, they threw the book at him, and he's in prison right now. The truth is what we really need about this drone program. A lot of people, it's hidden, it's in, some of it's done domestically, and people are at, you know, behind uh, uh, monitors, and uh, you know, nobody really knows what's going on. How folks can help, how they can get involved? First of all, put pressure on, we want to ban these killer drones, uh, you know, as they're being used more and more in warfare, so that's number one. You could go to bankillerdrones.org, there's a, a movement to try to get a treaty to ban killer drones. And second of all, domestically, we want to get a pardon of Daniel Hale. That will raise the issue about the drones and the fact that you're punishing somebody who's telling the truth about the drone program. And you know, we, we as Americans have a right to know what is actually happening. And you know, the one person that stands out on this, they're punished. So those are the two things you could do. Call, call Congress, call the President, and ask for a pardon, a complete pardon and release and freedom for Daniel Hale. Who's getting killed, why they're getting killed, where they're getting killed, what's the rules around this? Is there any, any oversight? We don't know everything about the drone program. We get it from people like Daniel Hale. You know, the actual counts, how we, that is not publicized. So you actually, that's why we are dependent Dozens, hundreds, people. thousands? Oh, there's been thousands of people who have been killed by and drones. not all like so-called bad guys. 90% of the people killed by uh, drones by the United States are people who are not targeted. An Army combat veteran and candidate for Congress of Staten Island, Brittany Ramos-Tabaros, says she posted public information information that was not classified about environmental degradation caused by the U.S. military, she says the world's largest polluter. Nevertheless, despite the fact the information was unclassified, she was investigated as if she was a criminal. This is not just about Daniel. You know, I'm a, I'm a member of About Face. I'm proud to be a fellow member of About Face like Daniel is. I'm also a member of Veterans for Peace. And I know that for Daniel, one of his deepest concerns as we were trying to figure out how to show up and support him as he was going through trial, as he was you know, being persecuted legally for years before he even got put in prison, right? His life was a disaster and he constantly, to his credit I think, put the light back on the victims that he was always trying to speak up for and repeatedly said that this is that the story, even as he was being sentenced to prison, should not be about him going to prison, but should be about the truth that he was willing to go to prison to tell. Last month, DeBarros was defeated by Max Rose, another veteran, for the Democratic nomination for Congress in the 11th District, covering parts of Brooklyn and Staten Island. An organizer of Saturday's event is well known to the WBAI family. His name is Zul Zulkowitz. The key thing that Daniel Hale did was he showed that in Yemen, in a 10-month period, that 9 out of 10 of those killed in the targeted drone assassination program were innocent. But at the same thing, you raised the right question. Who are the people being targeted? Who's targeting? Totally extraditional. We think there are 20 or so, maybe more, in JSOC, Joint Military Intelligence, who are coming up with the list. 
eight people in Congress and we don't know how many in the White House, and then the president signs off, and they can be assassinated extrajudicially. Um, it can be an American. It can What's be bad anyone. with that? They got us at 9-11 right down the road here. You saw it smoking people, thousands of people killed. Well, you know, you, you bring up a good point. So right now we're spending $100,000 an hour um, for the next 10 years for new nukes because right now our capacity is to kill everybody on the planet 43 times. So maybe 43 times dead is not enough. We got to kill people 100 times dead. Band killer drones organizer Zul Zolkowitz. And spry nonagenarian Vinnie Burroughs had a few words with the news about the need to end drone warfare. Empowered. And the, the crowd here makes me feel empowered. The people are struggling, people who know the truth and want the light to be shining on the truth and make changes. We've got to have the changes. Thank you very much. And the Raging Grannies ended the rally with a song. Daniel Hale is strong and true, told us what our drones, drones do. Gotta stand with Daniel Hale, exploring global dread, countless civilians dead. Gotta stand with Daniel Hale. Hale is currently being held in the Communication Management Unit at the Federal Prison in Marion, Illinois. A communication management unit strictly limits conversation between prisoners and visitors. It was started to jail prisoners convicted of terrorism-related offenses. Starting Monday, the United Nations General Assembly is meeting in New York City. It's the 77th session of the World Body, and the Credentials Committee is deliberating who to seat as ambassador from Myanmar. Eighteen months ago, the elected president of the Southeast Asian country was deposed and imprisoned in a military coup. The United Nations has to decide whether to seat the current ambassador from the previous government or the representative of the junta. On Saturday, thousands of supporters of the elected government marched through downtown Manhattan to Madison Square Park in support of Ambassador Kia Motun. The UN is divided on the issue, with UNICEF supporting the generals, while the assembly tacitly supports the ambassador. More than 2,000 people have been killed since the coup. 15,000 have been detained or disappeared. More than 1.2 million have been displaced, and 14 million need immediate humanitarian assistance. And President Biden urged accountability for social media in a speech at a United We Stand anti-hate summit last week. He urged the public to reject hate and focus on what unites the nation. Among the programs Biden announced was allocating resources to help law enforcement Houses of Worship and schools report and identify hate-fueled violence. And he said he would involve the youth service organization AmeriCorps as well. The program, known as Countering Violent Extremism, or CVE, was introduced by the Obama administration. But activists in the Muslim community say the program has been a license for the public to racially profile Muslims and brown-skinned people who speak other languages. CVE relies on religious, racial, and political indicators to target people, although there's no evidence potential attackers can be profiled by their appearance or utterances. Muslim Justice League Executive Director Fatima Aman spoke with the news. She says CVE is aimed at Muslims, while the single biggest terror threat comes from white supremacists. Where it falls short for me and my organization is this framing of hate or extremism in the language at this summit that was just held or much of the documents and things that Biden has put out, they actually don't name 
white supremacy. They call it domestic violent extremism or domestic terrorism or hate. And that really obscures what we're up against. And that also means that everyone is potentially seen as an extremist, right? Like extremism is really in the eye of the beholder. And as we know, for quite some time, black and brown people, Muslims have typically been seen that way and been impacted by many of these initiatives, in in particular from law enforcement. In a way, it's a more sophisticated approach than Trump when he said there's uh, good people or fine people on both sides equating uh, people who are uh, fighting maybe violently in some cases, but mostly not, for justice against those who were using violence to oppress them as, an, as, a, as a racial ethnic group. To think of BLM, Black Lives Matter activists, as extreme is really incredibly frustrating. And we know that these same, you know, counterterrorism tools and policing measures have done that. In trying to address white supremacist violence, we have to actually be clear about what we're up against. We also have to look at it systemically. Much of the summit that just happened was about the individual acts of violence. We do need to support survivors of that violence and communities who are targeted by that. But we can't possibly identify all of the individuals who might commit acts of violence, right, or who might subscribe to white supremacist or white nationalist ideologies. We know Mm -hmm. that there are institutions and really big players that actually have a much bigger impact. And yet, you know, the administration is not necessarily looking at that. What about the CVE program, these programs that the uh, this initiative by the White House will rely on? Some of them have been around for a while, you know, see somebody, say, somebody, say something type of thing. If you're writing a subway system or you're flying on a plane and you see a sign that says, if you see something, say something, who do you think is getting reported 95% of the time? We know that Muslims can barely get through an airport without being patted down, without getting invasive questioning, even maybe having fellow passengers report on them for speaking a different language or just looking Muslim. Black and brown young people are heavily like criminalized by their own teachers, which results in the school-to-prison pipeline. So when we say that we're going to take this kind of programming like CVE that encourages everybody to look around them and identify who they think might commit an act of violence, you know, we know that that's going to continue to disproportionately target black and brown people, Muslim people. It's going to encourage racial and religious profiling. And the worst part is it's not actually effective at all at preventing violence. There's no data behind it that shows that these kinds of models help us in any way. And so really, it's only harmful. What should people do? I think that the best strategy is looking at white supremacy and white nationalism holistically as a system. Where is, you know, the majority of power 
behind this, right? What are the institutions, like I mentioned earlier, where there's nonprofits, there are higher organizations behind these ideologies? What are we actually doing about that? And what are we doing about it within our government to ask law enforcement institutions to tackle white supremacy is absurd and quite offensive given that they have been the perpetuators of so much racism and Islamophobia. So it actually starts with looking at those agencies first and listening to the communities who are impacted by this kind of violence. Fatima Aman is executive director of the Muslim Justice League. She says confronting white supremacist violence must address the racism and Islamophobia perpetuated by institutions like the Department of Homeland Security, not asking them to lead the charge. And Saturday was the 10th anniversary of the two-month occupation of Zuccotti Park in Lower Manhattan, known as Occupy Wall Street. It was a protest organized by a Canadian anarchist magazine and a crew of protest veterans who were able to exploit a legal loophole that allowed a rollicking tent city to emerge in a park privately owned by a real estate developer. It was in protest of the economic crisis that gripped the nation after the housing market collapsed in 2008. The Occupy phenomenon spread across the country and around the world and heralded the birth of a new, more aggressive protest culture culminating in the demonstrations across America after the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis cop. An organizer of Occupy Wall Street is Marnie Halassa. Occupy really was like almost like a spiritual awakening um, where I began to really realize that like the system really is rigged and when you really delve into an issue you really see like how elected officials are compromised, how the system is always gamed, you know, for corporate interests, and really why people are in the position that they're in. I mean, we don't have a living wage. There's like very little opportunity out there, um, you know, for jobs. Um, so much racism, so much homelessness, poverty. Uh, so Occupy really, you know, really showed me really what the world you know, how the, how the world works. Another organizer, Ali, says the economic crisis brought on by Wall Street is still here for millions. Especially here in New York City, we have the crisis of homeless. But it's not only a homeless, it's the crisis of homeless or not having health insurance, health care. We also have a crisis of housing. Housing is a problem in this city, but it's a problem around the world. And we have enough land around the world that we could give a space for everybody to live a comfortable life. But let's just talk about United States, what is happening here in United States. Remember, we have a, somebody who owns Amazon. These people, they're making more, more, more money every single minute, every single second. These people, yeah, they make so much money. And we, as people and citizens of this country, we are supporting them. We are supporting them. We should be boycotting. And a homeless activist then spoke about the recent sweeps of homeless encampments ordered by Mayor Eric Adams. He says the sweeps are needless harassment of the vulnerable. First off, they break all their own rules. You know, they're bullies. They'll throw all your stuff, you know, and they'll arrest you. You know, if you don't move fast enough, you know, there was uh, it, it was going on before Eric Adams started his sweep initiative. And honestly, they've been doing that for a long, long time. 
It's just that Eric Adams, you know, made it like, hey guys, I'm gonna do even worse than that, right? I'm gonna turn it up a bit. So um, basically, the, they have like these weird rules to it where they're supposed to put up a sweep notice at least a day in advance, okay? And basically DHS puts it up. And what it says is that uh, on this date, you know, the next day or the day after that or something. Sometimes it could be for more than a week or something. I've seen a lot of them. And um, so what happens is on this day, we're gonna come and do a, a, a cleanup there. So that's what a sweep is. And there's three uh, government agencies that turn up there. The NYPD, all, uh, 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 DHS, and then if it's in the parks and the parks department, if it's anywhere else, it's sanitation. All right, so it's, uh, it, it's those three right there. If all three of them aren't there, then they're not supposed to do the sweep at all. All right? So now what ends up happening is they just don't follow those rules and they'll just do what they want anyway. The police will just pop up and throw out your stuff and arrest you if you don't move fast enough. Occupy Wall Street in New York City lasted for two months before police, under orders of then-Mayor Michael Bloomberg, a Wall Street billionaire, evicted hundreds of people. And New York City's tens of thousands of unhoused people face countless indignities every day. One is the rising cost of storage units throughout the city. Last December, Manhattan Mini Storage was acquired by a new owner, Missouri-based Storage Mart. The company serves 25,000 users in the city. Many are unhoused and use the units to store their possessions, paying the fee from monthly Social Security or SSI checks. Unhoused people are reporting the new company is hiking fees, mandating insurance, and enforcing draconian eviction policies. Sometimes the possessions are sold at blind auctions, where bidders submit sealed bids for the contents. An unhoused person who declined to be identified described the importance of access to storage for many New Yorkers. Well, the problem is that uh, Manhattan Mini Storage is, uh, uh, has been helping people, basically, to store their things, okay, at a modest price, uh, mostly. Of course, it keeps going up year to year, uh, but sometimes it's erratic, and that's a little bit bothersome in itself. But uh, up until this time, uh, there were like nine days you had to pay uh, your storage. And uh, many people uh, who have storage are uh, either uh, in, in outside of the system and outside, period, and don't have access to, like, the Internet. And, uh, or maybe their phone service costs them something. And when somebody comes in and says that uh, you have to pay before you can pay, um, when you had a, a, an agreement prior that was satisfactory, now you come with all of a sudden somebody comes in and says Every, all the rules are changed, this, that, and the other thing. They don't even have my right address. They, they got it from uh, Social Security, which was messed up because of something, some other scam and another scam and another scam. And this is another scam that uh, comes to about, uh, like from uh, what happens is some people from Missouri come up uh, and call themselves, and it's all in the name, uh, Storage Mart. You want to sell my stuff, have me come and pay my to storage until you get good and ready to, to lock me out and put uh, my stuff on, in, in, in auction when you find out what I have. He says he fears losing everything he owns for being a day late with the rent. They went through the first, the first period, okay? First period. Now, if you look at the calendar, only, uh, if, see, some people get theirs on the first, okay? I'm not on SSI. 
okay? I get mine on the third, okay? Never the first, except when, so except, except when the third comes on a weekend, okay? When it comes on a weekend, I get it on a Friday. I can't pay before I get my money. I'm at the end of the month. I'm starving at that point. So they, so uh, my belt is tight. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to sell my, eventually they'll be selling my stuff. They, and I have no future then. The unhoused person tells the news storage users have been forced by the new company to pay a further $10 a month for insurance, whether they want it or not. And that's some of the news for Sunday, September 18, 2022. The news is produced, written, and anchored by myself, Paul Durienzo. The program is available on SoundCloud. Search the news with Paul Durienzo or go to pauldurienzo.com. You can also find us on numerous servers, including Apple Podcasts. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.